Hey everyone, welcome to episode 122 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! What's up Chris? So it was your idea to do a mailbag episode this week because yeah. you are a little bit limited in the magic content that you can share for the next week or so. Yeah, there are, there are three formats I can't really talk about. <laughs> that does not leave a lot of room for just things to talk about. I can talk about Pioneer. And maybe we'll do that next week. Sure. Zan right now is playing in a uh, win and in for the top eight of an online PTQ. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Well, then we'll just probably have to get him on next week to share his pioneer expertise only Indeed. if he makes it though i mean oh yeah yeah he needs to win this match yes. otherwise we're doing something <laughs> no else. dice <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair well before we get we got a lot of questions we got a solid six pages of stuff here uh that's a lot probably not going to get to every question so mm-hmm. sorry if we don't um before we do that want to thank our new patrons liam r james s and david z we really appreciate it seeing new faces in the discord is very cool and uh we have sketches for t-shirts that are going to be going out hopefully pretty soon. I'm very excited. Um, I have the order about to be placed for some play mats. I just need to check a couple of things first. So we got lots of stuff to send out and stuff that is like kind of backward, like things that I am supposed to have sent out but haven't yet. I'm going to take care of as much as I can over Thanksgiving weekend. So um, should be getting stuff out. So anybody who has been waiting on that stuff, thank you for your patience. Anybody who has not signed up yet. If you sign up like now, you'll get your stuff really, really soon. So nice. Dubes wants us to only answer dumb questions and skip the serious ones. So uh, I'm in. There's a fair number of pretty <laughs> dumb questions in here. So well, good. We're, yeah. we're not going to be able to avoid those. Okay. Don't worry. We will kick this off with a keeper mole, though. Kyle submits this Grixis Death Shadow hand uh, on the play. We This is game one. We don't know what our opponent is playing. This is one of those classic no land. Mm-hmm. Death Shadow hands. I love, I love a good no land hand. Two Street Wraiths, Misha's Bobble, an Inquisition, a Stubborn Denial, a Thought Scour, and a Royal Scions. Mm-hmm. This, uh, as far as no land hand goes that I'm excited to keep, mm-hmm. this actually is not one of them. Yep. Because it doesn't fulfill my requirement for no land hands, which is that the spells that you have are good enough to win on their own if you get there. Mm-hmm. And this hand is missing one really important piece in your shadow deck, which is... A threat. A threat. Yeah. You just don't have your threat. The Royal Scions is good. Very strong card. Might even qualify as a threat in some matchups. But it's... It's uh, three mana. It's three mana. We have none of those. (laughs) Yeah. So if we... None mana. Right. None mana is not enough mana. No. So if we draw into our land, that's great. You know, we can cast our Inquisition and and cantrip off a Thought Scour. But we're still still trying to get there. Yep. On finding a threat to play. So... This one doesn't quite cut it for me. Yep, I agree. Um, And the takeaway from here is, like, it's not just whether the hand is likely to hit the land. Mm -hmm. It's if you get lucky enough to hit the land, what does then that hand, what does that convert into? What does that allow you to do? And here, it's it's not a lot. It's just the disruption, which isn't. So you're missing two things, and you never want to keep a hand that's missing two important things. And this concept, I mean, this is definitely like an extreme example of this concept mm-hmm. where we, we don't have a threat at all, so it's like bad. And yeah. we have no lands, so it's very risky. Right. Um, but this concept actually applies a lot to, um, to to a lot of hands in pretty much every format where I see people say, you know, oh, if I can like just draw one extra land, I can just cast all my spells. But the spells that they, ha- like I look at the spells that they have in their hand and 
it's just not really you know it's not a great hand if you get there yeah so yeah um so you know if you're t- if you're gonna take risks you need to have rewards mm-hmm. to get right. be rewarded if you get there yeah i kept a zero land hand in the invitational and mm-hmm. i think it was correct nice because i was on the draw against burn which is tough especially with the karn build mm-hmm. so you need to get kind of lucky on the draw yeah against burn like right y- y- you gotta do it yeah, yeah, yeah um and my hand was basically bobbles and uh there was an opal and a goose and an astrolabe so effectively like if i drew one land mm-hmm. then i was you very likely unload. to play a turn two urza which is that's one of the win conditions for burnt right is yeah. two blockers right right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that sounds like a pretty good keep then yeah and uh i was lucky enough that my opponent's goblin guide just put a snow covered island in my hand and i was like off to the races mm-hmm. i if i just hadn't drawn any lands and just kind of dirtled and then they played an idol on and i died like i was ready to take that yeah floor because right. the ceiling was very high yeah. but like a no land hand that's just like I have all of these Mishra's baubles and like astrolabe, so I like could get there. Like, if it's not turning into something good, like very automatically by getting the land, then it's there's just no reason to keep. Yep. All right, on to the questions. There you have it. Uh, yeah, kick us off. Okay. Uh, first, Def Chat asks a pretty serious one, so sorry, dudes. Uh, <laughs> we often hear that magic is a game of high variance. LSV top eighting three PTs in a row, or Lotus Box consistently putting most of their team into day two, seems to contradict that. The fact that high level players are able to consistently put up results must mean that variance plays less of a role in magic than it often feels like. In the face of that, what's the right way to go about attributing wins and losses to skill or variance for the sake of both improvement and mental health? So. You have been on the inside of Team Lotus Box, like yeah. putting up these like very consistent, dominating performances. So what? I love good variance questions. Yeah, variance. It's it's a fickle beast <laughs> in Magic: The Gathering. So yeah, I mean, variance and, and skill level are often pretty highly correlated from from a perspective standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean uh, the lower skill level players are going to overestimate how much variance plays into their games. Because we play these games where a lot of our losses are actually our fault, mm-hmm. but as human beings, we don't want to assign blame to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So one of our scapegoats for that is blaming variants. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that you see that happen all the time in our community, where uh, people don't really want to take ownership of the mistakes that they've made. And uh, one of the easiest ways to shift that ownership away from themselves is to point towards things outside of their control mm-hmm. and in this case variance yeah so because of that like concept variance definitely gets overplayed in our communities it's just built into our culture that we're just like kind of prone to pointing towards mm-hmm. variance and and you know like i'm very aware of this concept and i still do it still, yeah, you know i'm guilty like as well. everybody's Absolutely. like i'm not i'm not like trying to blame the people who like do this scapegoating or whatever it's just a natural reaction to yeah. to playing this game but but yeah, I mean that has definitely like created this this uh, idea in everybody's mind where like oh magic is a high variance game you know so it must be true that you know everybody's gonna have you know elements of bad luck and and variance is a very real thing in the game. The best players in the world only have like you know seventy percent GP win rate or right whatever. yeah seventy seventy ish like seventy percent win rate is is very high mm-hmm. and so you're still losing 30 percent of the time yep. so and that's where the variance comes in right so yeah i mean it is definitely an element of magic that we all have to cope with 
because that's the other side of it is that like you know we use it as a scapegoat goat but it also is very real <laughs> you know so it's a kind of a double, double double-edged sword there where you know sometimes you you have to like look at the variants and say yeah i mean you know there's nothing i could do here mm-hmm. i feel like i made all the correct decisions in this game and it just wasn't my fault yeah well, and I do want to talk about, so the second half of the question is, what's the right way to go about attributing wins and losses to skill or variance yeah. for the sake of both improvement and mental health? Right. So I think that's an easy like trap to fall into, sure. actually, mm-hmm. because I don't think identifying whether it was luck or bad play or whatever that caused this win or loss to happen, yeah. I don't think that's actually a particularly valuable distinction to make. Mm-hmm. Like, if you made mistakes, you made mistakes regardless of the outcome of the game right if you played perfectly unlikely but, you know <laughs> yeah like like that stuff doesn't change no matter how lucky or unlucky you also got in the game and like yep. yes the losses are more memorable right and and it's like the punt that led to a loss is more memorable than the exact same punt that you got bailed out of yeah but it's still the same punt yeah and you you know you should still be focusing on improving that no matter what yeah yeah I think that the the optimal way to approach this is to ignore variance entirely when it comes to developing your skill. Mm -hmm. Everything that goes wrong, you should be looking for things that could have been your fault to to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So, like, in terms of, like, you know, analyzing your games for mistakes that you make, just completely ignore variance and just like assume that each scenario like has an optimal decision mm-hmm. and it's up to you to find the optimal decision. And then at some point, I think you start getting like kind of excited when right. you realize that the loss was like because of a mistake. Right. Because you can patch that up. Yeah. You can't patch up like I drew seven right. lands in a row. That's yeah. that's unfixable. Yeah. And but but it's it's hard because you have to find a balance because if you go too far mm-hmm. into this extreme of variance doesn't exist everything is my fault that you begin to pay mental health tolls Mm -hmm. right so you you can't go too far into that extreme of like everything's my fault and then you like go on a cold streak and you keep on losing and you're like wow i must suck at magic and that can be its own kind of like leading to bad behavior patterns and stuff Mm -hmm. so if you can if from like a purely logical standpoint you can tell yourself that variance doesn't exist and then from a purely mental health standpoint, you can tell yourself that it's okay, I'm losing because of variance sometimes, mm-hmm. and I need to accept that. Like, if you can weigh those two elements appropriately, that's, like, the ideal way to do it. That's really hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been doing this for, like, you know, a long time. It's like, four or five years now I've been playing competitive magic. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have the balance down. Yeah, I mean, um, every time I 3 a league, it, like, puts me in a bad mood. So. Yeah, and, you know, and then you don't want to play anymore, yep. and, but you need to test, and, you know, it's it can be a bad cycle. Yeah. Usually it just means I need to, like, step away for, like, ten minutes and, like, right. go talk to people or whatever, and then I'm fine, but... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I think variance is definitely, like, overstated in a lot of contexts because, you know, everybody can get better and, and have a better win record, but it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword to think yeah. about it. Yep. All right, Lee asks, turn five of extra turns ends. Do you determine a winner? If so, how? And then follow up, do you play faster to prevent this from happening? Do you hurry your opponent up? Do you ever play slower when you are up a game in a very slow matchup? Um, <laughs> I mean, number the, one... The last question's a trap. The last we'll, question's we'll definitely a trap. Yeah. <laughs> nice try, Lee. <laughs> uh, turn five of extra turns, do you determine a winner? For me, it depends. If I'm in a 
position in the tournament where a draw is effectively the same as a loss, mm -hmm. then I will determine a winner. Uh, if I think that getting a draw is going to be kind of marginal here nor there, I think I'll just accept the fact that we drew. Mm -hmm. Like, say I'm like X1 at an open and we draw and we still have, you know, all of day two to play still. Mm -hmm. I think I'm still fine just saying, all right, if there's no clear winner here, I'm fine with the draw um, because, you know, I, I still have a record that that can make top eight. Mm -hmm. So for me, it does depend on like where I am in the tournament. If if it, if like a draw knocks us both out of say day two contention or um, top eight contention, mm -hmm. I, we, we will be determining a winner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What about if like there's someone who's very very clearly ahead, but the draw does have equity? Like say your opponent mm -hmm. is very ahead of you, but the draw does have some amount of equity for you. Let's say it's early on day two or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah. That one's tough mm -hmm. because. I think I think from a, like an ideal moral standpoint, I would say that I would just always concede, mm -hmm. and I have certainly conceded in the past. Actually, this past invitational I played against a guy in, I think the first round of the tournament, mm -hmm. and he was like, "Hey, man, I remember we played a couple invitationals ago, and we went to time, and uh, it was day one, and I was ahead, and you scooped to me, and I really appreciated that. Hmm. So that was cool. Yeah, uh, it was a nice little start to my my invitational. So you know, I've I've certainly conceded, but I've certainly also in the past, taken a draw where I believe that I was far behind. And I think that my decisions were based on, like, how I believed it affected my equity in the tournaments. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have, like, a, uh, a, like a built-in solidified answer. Because just looking at my history, I think that it, it, I, I have just analyzed the situation that it'll put me in. And yeah. then taken the, the optimal decision from there. Mm -hmm. I'll have to think more about that, though. Because I don't know exactly what i believe the the optimal moral decision is in mm -hmm. that scenario um, i've heard a lot of different arguments on who should concede somebody made an argument to me that uh because i had taken up more of the clock time it was on me to concede even though i was ahead mm -hmm. that one rubbed me a little the wrong way just because it like i hadn't heard that argument before and I was ahead on board, which was like generally my default for who should be winning. Yeah. And then they threw that at me, and then I was like, "Wow, it feels like they're really fishing for me to concede here." Mm -hmm. um, like, would they be making this argument had that not be that like had had they been ahead on board? Would they still in, in like in a different scenario? Is that like always going to be their default, or did they choose it just because it benefited them here? Yeah. Um, and also, I do feel like it's both players' responsibility to keep the pace of game moving if mm -hmm. they feel like somebody's taking an unfair amount of clock and that does become really difficult because calling judges for slow play is kind of like a thankless thing to do and and like doesn't actually it's, it's such a difficult ruling for a judge to make and, and doesn't often result in like really anything happening and so i i definitely have not always done my part in making sure that matches go at the pace they're supposed to mm -hmm. i'm yeah i'm bad at that yeah <laughs> i'll just be honest i'm i do not like it, when i go in the tank i'm i have a bad pace of play i'm working on it though yeah and and i mean i i have the problem of i don't call out my opponents as much as i should mm -hmm. when i when they're really not keeping up with the pace of play that that they mm -hmm. should be playing at but i do tend to play honestly too quickly mm -hmm. um and so very very few of my matches go to time mm -hmm. um so i don't have this problem so much but it is probably because of a flaw in my game honestly mm -hmm. do i play faster to prevent this I'm, i've gotten better at playing faster especially when i'm noticing 
Uh, it's easier for me to notice that my opponents are playing slow than for when I'm playing slow, mm-hmm. just because that's how that works. But I, I will hurry up my opponent, or like my general go-to is just reminding them how much time we have left in the round. Yeah, and and most of the time that like gets the message across. Yeah, sometimes all you need to do is like lean over so you can see the clock, and that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Give, give one of these that the clock exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. And you never play slower when you're up a game in a slow matchup. That's yeah. Do you ever play slower when you're up a game in a slow matchup? Uh, no, that would be cheating. Yes, that would be cheating. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. It's slow play. It's against the rules. Um, what magic rules changed in the last five years you really like slash really dislike? I really like the change to damage to planeswalkers. You don't have to say bolt you, wait as they confusedly go. Why would you? Oh, right. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't have to happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. The one drawback is that Chandra is worse at murdering other planeswalkers, and that makes me sad, but the, yeah. the rules change is good overall. There have been some pretty solid tournament rules changes that I've liked. Mm-hmm. I like the general direction that a lot of policy has taken on lately being a little less cutthroat gotcha magic. I feel like magic is in a pretty good spot right now because of a lot of the changes that the um, the judge program has implemented. Right. Generally, um, if you take an action mm-hmm. but no information was gained yeah. from your opponent by you doing that you can undo that action so you right. can put a land into play and then go no that so that's wrong i have to play this land yeah, instead yeah. and that's yeah. totally fine yeah magic's a messy game people are gonna need to you know fix things and i think like allowing them to do that without it being like super gotcha cutthroat uh like you know people are, have been reminiscing back to the, the good old days of <laughs> magic like 10 years ago and saying wow Magic really was just all about trying to get your opponent a game loss or something like that, yeah. and that sucks. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah, that I was. Like, a, I like this next question though. That was a dubes question, by the way. He also asks, Chris, would you rather fight a hundred goose-sized Collins or one Collins-sized goose? Um, I feel like a hundred goose-sized Collinses would be a pretty difficult <laughs> to deal with. Because geese are, like, not that small, honestly. Yeah, and 100 right. is, like, a lot. Uh-huh. One Collins-sized goose would just be, like, fighting a Collins, which <laughs> sure. like, I think I could yeah. handle, like, right. at least reasonably, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying this is, like, a, a lock for me to win or anything like that. <laughs> but it's, you know, I feel like I get really worn out fighting yeah. 100 goose-sized Collinses. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. I like your approach on that question. Uh, my My approach on this question is, like, which entity do I think is more intelligent? Um, um, true. You know, like, who who do I think I could outwit? I think <laughs> I could... So for me, my question is, Collins, would you rather fight 100 goose-sized John, John Fogarty. <laughs> Fogarty's or one John Fogarty-sized goose? I feel like I could pretty easily take on one John Fogarty-sized goose, mm-hmm. but 100 goose-sized John Fogarty's, that would be really tough. They'd That's be true, like tactical. they'd have teamwork, right? Yeah, right. They'd be, like, tactical and, like, getting around me and... That would be a nightmare. Yeah. So, yeah. E- easy, easy answer for So, me. a couple of good reasons to go with that answer. <laughs> um, all right. Sorry, dudes. We got to skip some of your questions here. We may come back to them, but there's a lot to scroll down through. Captain Scissors asks, how much do you, ga- how much do you engage with magic when you don't have any upcoming tournaments? Honestly, more now that Arena is a thing, because mm-hmm. it's just much easier to sit down and jam a couple of matches, and it's fun. As long as Arena is working, which is yeah. not always the case, but... But quite a bit, honestly. It's it's still my main game, even if I'm not prepping for a tournament. Yeah, I um I'm the same way. I actually think that I have the most fun playing Magic when I don't have an upcoming tournament, mm-hmm. solely because I get to play the kind of Magic that I enjoy playing the most, which is limited. Just limited. Yeah, yeah just like all right, time to draft, time to play cube or whatever. God, you know? I know. Like that Magic's just always great. 
and uh the tournaments that i play in are always constructed thanks star city games <laughs> no i mean i get it yeah uh, but i mean nobody watches limited nobody watches limited also it's just not what the star city games business model is all about you know they're they're out to try to sell magic cards and limited it does the opposite of that so yep yep um it's just not gonna happen um but yeah i i love playing some 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 limited magic when uh when i'm not when i don't have a tournament to prepare for same same mm-hmm. all right lee asks a series of questions what games have you been playing recently and what books have you been reading recently um and also well i guess this is a separate question we'll, mm-hmm. we'll ask that separately but what, any games any books you've been playing or reading recently i've been deep in the tournament prep slash it's PC yeah race. it's my my life is so hard i play magic all the time only <laughs> woes me no but yeah i i've definitely taken a huge deep dive into magic lately it's been pretty consuming of my life which has led to me not reading many books lately which is kind of been sad there are a few uh phone games that i picked up a couple like recently uh-huh. uh one of them is cribbage Okay. Thanks, Ross Miriam. That is you got a me addicted classic. to cribbage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been fun. Another one is a little like kind of skill testing mini golf game that I don't know. It's just fun. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um Yeah. It's yeah. my like chilling on the couch game. You know what I mean? So I have been Yes, I've seen you chilling on the couch playing mini golf. So <laughs> how about that? Okay. I got I, I get True it. True to form on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have been playing, let's see, I've been playing some Slay the Spire. I killed the heart recently, which Ooh. was kind of exciting. Congratulations. Um, I I mean, yeah. I have not been playing as much Slay the Spire as I kind of like to. I really love that game. Yeah. Um, Lee is much better at it than I am. Uh, I've also, I just picked up uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game is pretty fun. And uh, not a lot of other games recently. Books I've been reading. I read an incredible book called Spinning Silver, which is a you know fantasy novel, but just like really, really like stunningly rendered world. Super interesting characters that you just like kind of can't put down. Um, I've read a few other books recently that I've like kind of liked, but that one, um, Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, uh, definitely high a high recommendation for me. Solid. Positive role models in any aspect of magic. Yeah. Well, uh one of my favorite twitter followers twitter twitter follows from like the past couple of years and has had some pretty good takes recently on twitter is uh lexi mm-hmm. uh chavanel mtg um just really well-spoken solid takes on magic twitter yeah very hard, thoughtful hard, hard to find these days she's very thoughtful i yeah i agree yeah i like this is lame but like for me it's like patrick sullivan i mm. just think that you know he's like one of the sharpest analytical that's not lame. like he's thoughtful great. minds like i don't know just his his takes are very good his understanding of like situations and developments and stuff like that within the community are often nuanced and interesting and he's just kind of the best yeah um on the other end of the spectrum. Yes. Uh, Frexia598 asks, how do you handle an unsportsmanlike player? How do you deal with a meta full of disrespectful players? Yeah, that second question is a doozy. <laughs> like, I don't really know, but it, it used to really get me, mm-hmm. unsportsmanlike players. Yeah. To, but now I just kind of laugh at them. <laughs> uh, I remember I, I wasn't really involved with this unsportsmanlike player, but I it was during one of the IQs that I traveled for. Mm-hmm. The match sitting next to me had a classic example of one of the players casts through the reach, puts an Emrakul, attacks, trigger, and their opponent picks up all their permanents, mm-hmm. kind of slowly like, and starts 
you know, gathering all their permanents up. And the other player kind of takes that as a concession mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like, all right, and like scoops up all of his permanents as well and plops them all on top of his deck. And then the other player just kind of puts all of his permanents in the graveyard and, and then picks his hand back up and just like, you know, looks at his opponent again. And I'm just like... Here we go, <laughs> you know, because I know exactly what's happening, right? Yep. He's, he's this is a yeah. this is a cheat of opportunity. Oh yeah, absolutely. So and the guy, it was it was kind of weird. Like he picked up all his permanents and he put them on top of his deck, and then he realized what his opponent was doing, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh, okay. How do you want to resolve this?" And the guy just kind of like silently shrugs and like has a smirk on his face. Ugh. Yeah, it was nasty. And I just look, and I'm sitting next to this match, right? I'm also playing playing match, and I just look at my opponent, and I was like, "Huh." I thought that we were here to play magic. I didn't realize we were going fishing. <laughs> and the guy just like was like, yeah. And he's like concedes. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize my quip would like solve this problem. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, good. I'm proud of you. Good. Well done. Yeah. I was proud of that one. But yeah, I, I think that handling an unsportsmanlike player. Yeah. I pretty much just ignore it at mm-hmm. this point. Like you don't, you don't really feed it. Like I... I had one match, uh, Invitational Weekend, that was just, like, exceedingly unpleasant. And not for, like, my opponent wasn't, like, being particularly, like, mean or rude or anything. Just, like, his mannerisms were very, I don't know. He, like, he started by telling me he was a legacy player, which is usually, like, not a great sign. Mm -hmm. And then he, like, arranges his battlefield. It's like his deck is in the middle of the table, and then he just plays his lands in front of it, and that's his whole battlefield. And he does every action, like, really, really quickly, like, because he's playing blue-white control. So I believe he's trying to get me to play quickly, both because it takes him a very long time to win the match, and also because he would like for me to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, And obviously... I'm not going to speed up my pace of play to adjust to this guy who's like throwing an island ta- into a tap position and going opt and then looking at the top card and like not waiting for me to like give him priority or anything like that. Jeez. Like I'm not going to like make my pace of play faster to like impress this person or whatever. And so I was just like kind of like laughing to myself a little bit the whole time. But you just kind of there's a line that they can cross where you have to like especially if it's like somebody acting in such a manner with somebody who's like not able to just sort of let it like maybe they're a less experienced player or something like that yeah and there's a line at which maybe you do have to get a judge involved or something like that yeah when it's my opponent i usually just like it's very difficult to affect me with that sort of thing yeah yeah for sure yeah learning not to get entrained in your opponent's pace of play Mm -hmm. is is definitely a skill that because there are some players who want to try to get that edge where they're like going to rush you yeah. And, like, try to get you to, like, play faster and make mistakes. Yeah. So. And I, I had to consciously, like, adjust to that. Because I yeah. used to allow my opponents yeah. to do that every once in a while. Yeah, and, no, for sure. Sometimes you just aren't thinking about it and it can get you. Yep. Um, Panama Kid asks, something I was curious about. Chris, can you talk about your relationship with poetry? Yeah. I I minored in poetry. I've been reading and writing poetry for a very, very long time. I, I minored in poetry at unc which what that means is basically like you write poetry you take a bunch of poetry classes in which you write poetry and it like caps off with uh, a seminar course that lasts the whole year and you write a book of poetry and um i really really enjoyed that class it was very difficult and i definitely felt like i was the worst poet in the class for the whole time which was like really difficult to kind of deal with sure but it also was just because everybody in my class was like pretty brilliant yeah yeah um including 
including one girl who was always better than me. Her poems were super interesting and always like very sciencey, which was really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember she wrote this incredible poem about um it's called a whale fall, and it's when a whale dies, it like sinks to a position of neutral buoyancy in the ocean. And then it becomes this like habitat for millions of creatures because it's so gigantic and full of resources. And her poem about it was like really stunning and like floored me. And now she is an actual astronaut. So <laughs> like, oh, she's just like one of the most impressive people I ever met. And like, I would not have met her unless I had like done this thing. And so that's kind of cool. And but also like. You know, I see her like posting astronaut stuff on Instagram and it's like, yep, you are doing better than me. <laughs> well, yeah, but well, that's cool. But I mean, she, she deserves it. She is great. Poetry in general. Like I love poetry. I still read poetry. I still try to write it every once in a while. I don't do as good of a job of keeping up with that. As if I you like don't to. follow Chris on Twitter, you definitely should because every once in a while he just releases a banger. So <laughs> you should go to Chris's Twitter right now and check out his pinned tweet. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good one. Yep. That's not quite the poetry that I'm talking about. I know. But. I know. But yes. a little more, some, you know. Some, in... some parody lyrics can be very fun. <laughs> yeah. My poetry, honestly, is not usually very fun. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, poetry doesn't not, have to be fun. That's it's just, not. That's only one of the experiences. It's not Twitter ready. So. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Chris asked a bunch of questions. Let's pick out one or two of these. Okay. Ha- has Jeremy let go of the PC invitation ticket yet? No, he sleeps with it still, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, a security mm-hmm. animal kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 I sleep with mine, too, so you can't, <laughs> <I> can't judge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Other than Zan's stream, what magic streams do you watch, if any? Magic podcasts? Um, a couple streams I've really enjoyed lately have been um, Martin Uses, mm-hmm. uh, Andrea Munguchi's. All of these have been very informative, and I've definitely been on the lookout for them streaming standard lately because I'm invested in that format right yeah. now. Those would be oh, and Huey, I love Huey's stream. <laughs> it's not for everybody; he's a little more like dry, monotone, but I think he's hilarious. So I just I really enjoy, Huey's especially stream. when he gets like bad beats out of a game. It's oh like, yeah, <laughs> he definitely just has the best responses to that particular yeah, yeah, yeah. type of situation. No. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. I really like, I mean, those streams are all excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, you can learn a lot from them. For, like, entertainment stuff, I really like Caleb D's stream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very, very fun to watch. Yeah. And literally never lets anything get to him ever, which is, like, a main thing that I appreciate. Impressive. In a streamer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, podcasts. Uh, if you are into Limited, I really like the Lords of Limited podcast. I think that one is super fun uh super informative uh i don't get to play so much limited so it's a nice way to like keep up and like maybe even like experience some of these formats a little bit vicariously and like uh, hear someone else breaking apart the format in a way that i would have if i had the time to get in like 30 drafts of it sure so that's nice i also like i mean i kind of listen to pretty much all of the magic podcasts that i can at least the like competitive focused ones Mm -hmm. and uh there's a lot worth checking out obviously like arena deckless is great and yeah. uh you know just like the main ones it's a smallish community so any ones that i would mention like you've heard of already so right scraw asks are there any habits a good chunk of magic players have that you find viscerally frustrating <laughs> if so what it's quite the language used in this question yes. viscerally frustrated oof the obvious top of the list is pile shuffling <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, I mean, anything that's still like wasting time for no reason. Yeah, is really yeah, the yeah. Thing. That's right. Yeah, definitely wasting time for no reason. Other habits that they have, though, I feel like I'm I'm just kind of like numb to the rest of them. Card flicking doesn't get you too hard. Oh no, no, yeah, it can't. You can't. Uh, you right. <laughs> yeah, we're we're magic players after all. Yeah. Uh, actually, give me those cards over there. <laughs> let me get good, in on some, that. Give yeah, you some yeah, good yeah. podcast content. With some some magic flicks in the background. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's pretty much all I can think of off the top of my head. That I'm just like really like oof. Yeah, this is happening right now, and I'm I'm annoyed. Otto asks, "What the? What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you now that you're magic celebrities?" <laughs> I am doubtful that we fulfill that particular descriptor. Yeah, um, I did get like asked. C list. Yeah, magic really maybe. bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, I will say that in I was in Atlanta one weekend, and it was the weekend after I had won Cincinnati with humans, mm-hmm. and we were eating dinner at a restaurant, and uh, some people bought my table. A, a, just a lot of drinks. I don't remember the most of the rest of that night, but that was fun. Reasonable. It's just, you know, some some stranger magic players decided to buy some drinks, and that was fun. Yeah. Um, I got asked to sign some of our tokens. That mm-hmm. was nice. Uh, although, you know, mostly by people that, like, I know. But <laughs> it's, it's fine. Yeah. But it's fine. Yeah. Uh, Dubes traveled across the continent to come hang out, so that was cool. Yeah, um, that was fun. That was a really nice addition to the Invitational Weekend. Lee asks, what do you enjoy most about Magic gameplay, and what do you enjoy most about Magic non-gameplay? What do you think he means by Magic non-gameplay? I don't know. And probably anything that comes up with Magic that's not, like, playing matches. Mm-hmm. What do I enjoy the most about non-Magic... Magic non-gameplay is the community, mm-hmm. certainly. Just, I mean, you know, my favorite time at events is always the dinner Saturday night. Mm-hmm. It's just very frequently the best times that i have is just hanging out with the people i enjoy hanging out with and and you know eating food and communing and mm-hmm. stuff magic gameplay I'm, i don't there's a lot of stuff that i enjoy about magic gameplay every time my opponent does something that with a card that i knew that they had or i'm not, mm-hmm. not surprised that they had but i like didn't expect them to do that thing and it turns out to be really good Mm. I really enjoy that feeling. Yeah. That's always like a learning experience you where like I need something in the game. I, I like know that my opponent like has access to these cards and I believe that I know all of the scenarios that, that can lead into and then they surprise me with something that turns out to be really good. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a, a that's one of my favorite a combo things. things. Like number one, your read mm-hmm. was right, so like yeah. that's fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. But then they they get you because right. like they know their deck better than you know their deck. And, sure. Yeah. yeah. Proggy Boog asks, who's a person that helped you get to where you are today that nobody really knows about, and how did they help you? Who's the person that helped you get to where you are today that nobody really knows about? Thomas Pendergast. Okay. Yeah. Do you know Thomas? I don't think I've met Thomas. Okay. Uh, he introduced me to Magic. Okay. I worked with him at Atomic Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just the person that I have to thank for introducing me to this game. And I don't see him a lot lately anymore, and that's sad, but he was great. Yeah. Well... That is too bad. But Shout out to that guy. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. For me, actually, this is really cool. Uh, a couple of my really good friends who I played Magic with years ago when I was in college, um, Philip Marshall and Adrian Nesico, like two of my favorite people. Um, we played a lot of Magic and they're now that have some time and are actually like coming and hanging out and playing some cards. And we are going to play SCG. We're going to play the Richmond Open together, I think. Um, so that like that will be really fun but like adrian was uh like one of the first people that i played a bunch of magic with who was able to like really approach the games 
like especially like from a technical gameplay perspective approach those in like a really analytical way and kind of like helped me construct an understanding of like technically correct gameplay and like placing much more importance on figuring out like you know what my plays should have been what i should have understood particularly what i should have understood my opponent to likely have based on their game actions Mm -hmm. um and he he helped me just because you know he did that and talking about games afterward with him like helped me figure out like what things are actually important in a game that happened um and so that 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 has been very helpful to me and that's been like a basis for a, a bunch of my gameplay josh asks what are the ways you keep yourself motivated to keep improving and playing when going through a tough time in life That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. For me, magic is my escape a lot of the time when I'm like running away from re- real life problems. <laughs> so that that can be good sometimes. I feel like I've talked about this before in the podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, some some of my magic results have come from just like an extended period of me just like not really being okay and only playing magic online. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I don't love that, but it's not great. <laughs> yeah. But here we are. <laughs> There have also definitely been times where I struggle to queue up a league or just like play any matches just because I'm like, wow, I'm really off this right yeah. now. I definitely, if I am really not feeling great, it is difficult for me. Like maybe I will then just like bury myself and like play a bunch of matches or something. It's really difficult for me to do like focused, purposeful testing uh, sure. when I'm in that sort of mood. Yeah. Like I can play yeah, a bunch yeah. of leagues in a row, but... I'll probably play them all with the same 75 and not like actually have figured anything out by the end of the day. Yeah. All right. So Sam G asks, uh, this question is for Collins with you being on one of the best teams on the SCG circuit. How does your testing change? A lot of people read your lists. So adding tech to you, your and your team's list, has that changed at all? Um, what happens if you audible and change cards, do you have to post your list? I guess he'd just like to sort of understand, like, what's the internal process given the existence of the Lotus Box Discord yeah. hosting decks before each tournament? Right. Um, yeah, and that's it's it's continuing to evolve, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, the lists that we post, I would say, on average, are about three cards off from the, ter- the list that gets registered. Mm-hmm. Because we... <laughs> uh, Every Friday night before every event, we're arguing, Yep. sometimes tooth and nail over our last, like, three <laughs> slots. Like, for example, at, for the Invitational, there was heated debates around the last, like, three cards of our Pioneer sideboard. <laughs> um, heated debates. But, but you know, we're, we're used to that, and, and that's kind of what we're doing. How does my testing change? I mean, you know, the testing process that we have is consistent and figured out at this point, but mm-hmm. I, I guess responding to, like, how has our like preparation of evolved now with the discord um interesting anecdote from this last invitational we introduced some technology into our urza deck by introducing karns mm-hmm. and we were like all right this is gonna give us an edge in the mirrors but then everybody then we posted our deck list on the on the patreon and everybody is in our patron mm-hmm. and copied the, our tech and we ended up losing equity because of that because not only were we now still the same in the mirror because everybody had our technology but we were worse against the rest of the field and that was right. bad so i don't think that we're going to be doing so that's like an example of an evolution of like us learning i don't think that we're going to be doing that kind of thing again where we like tech for our own deck mm-hmm. last minute 
because it's just going to bite us again because everybody's going to have it. Yeah. So so that does change ultimately yeah. your process at least a little right. bit because, mm-hmm. you know, if you hadn't had to tell everybody about Karn and you could have just put the Karns in and then some much larger portion of the population would have missed it, yeah. then that's a very different tournament. Potentially. Yeah, for sure. But I think that, you know, staying true to our Patreon is still going to be more important to us than... Yeah. Uh, getting our patrons <laughs> come, I mean, come tournament day. So. You guys already have the results and you have yeah. like proven track record of right. good decks and of doing well with them. Yeah. Grabbing an extra match win here or there because you have tech that nobody knows about is on balance not going to outweigh the existence of the Patreon and mm-hmm. the like being able to be creators that spread your decks around and are like the deck builders of the SEG tour and, yeah. and like that's a cool spot to be in fair enough skipping through a couple here all right shane from the dive down podcast actually i've been listening to the dive down a little bit more they are a nice. little bit less focused on like straight up like you know breaking they're, they're focused on modern they're a little less focused on like breaking formats or like being as spiky as possible but they do nice like metagame breakdowns and and stuff that help you get like big picture ideas of what's going on in their 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 modern and pioneer focused now so Mm -hmm. they're nice like a lot of their episodes are good ways to catch up on the format so yeah shane asks do you believe more consolidated meta lends itself to learning the best decks or to attacking it i'm specifically thinking of the apparent two deck metagame of pioneer or the somewhat compact metagame of modern at the moment um and the two deck metagame of pioneer that he's talking about is clearly mono black and the like sam black black and field decks field decks sam yeah. black autumn Burchett, field of the dead decks yeah i mean it it's like which approach to take during these times is really hinges on whether or not it's possible to hate out this best deck mm-hmm. because sometimes the one deck metagames i'm like excited for because sometimes you can you can break that yeah um and i think a a, a cool recent example of that was actually when everybody was just playing oko food mm-hmm. and then some people figured out that you know cat oven in that deck just completely broke the mirror wide open mm-hmm. so i do like i'm always going to default to try to attack it at first yeah once i realize that that's not possible then you do have to put in work to figuring out how to best play the mirrors and one thing is that i think a lot of times what we've been seeing a lot recently is the best way to attack it mm-hmm. is by playing an upgraded version of the mirror you know so that was ultimately a goose oko deck yeah yeah that just also had cat and oven and trail crumbs in it in some of the flex slots right um that it was just a deck built to way out value the mirror the deck that zan is hopefully in the top eight of the ptq with he is i uh just saw on my phone that he made top eight yeah is a a field of the dead deck so congrats to zan yeah (laughs) but it's a field of the dead deck that is teched out game one to beat mono black and then has uh like like evan came down and was like yeah we just like teched our sideboard really heavily to beat uh the mirror yeah the field of the dead mirror and i said oh so you're, yeah you're bringing in like seven or eight cards and he's like oh we're bringing in 12 cards <laughs> solid so yeah i think that right now metagames and like the mob 
I, I guess the hive mind is a better term for that. But the hive mind is becoming very good. At I like the mob better. <laughs> when there's a best deck, figuring it like legitimately, like figuring that best deck out, yeah. and it becomes very apparent. Mm-hmm. And the power level of that deck ends up being so high that the best thing to do is figure out how to win the mirror sure. by changing your deck around to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that there's there's certainly things that you can do. Uh, during deck construction for these like one deck metagames that can give you a significant edge. Yeah. Uh, like people people really underestimate the amount of work required to do well in a tournament that is a one deck event. Mm-hmm. Because you you really have to take a huge, huge deep dive to come out ahead of everybody else mm-hmm. in terms of your preparation. And sometimes these like multiple deck formats require like less work where you like have your one deck and then you get to know it like reasonably well against the field. Um, and, and then you can get a little lucky in your matchups. Right, yeah. Um, but if it's like a one-deck metagame, you have to like go deep. You have to have a, a hugely deep understanding of how the games play out. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to do a lot of learning on like you know uh, the ways to play the games. And then you also have to figure out the best strategies for sideboarding, whether or not there are like potential juke options for sideboarding. You need to know like what your opponent's plan is going to be, how to adapt to that. Mm-hmm. There's so many elements to to that. Um, so. Yep, yep. And in particular right now, the compact metagames are, like, especially in Pioneer and Modern, mm-hmm. you're getting pulled between two poles of these two decks. Mm-hmm. Because basically, like, anything that's good if, against Field of the Dead is, like, very bad against Mono Black. Right. Yeah. And in Modern, anything that's, like, good against Urza is very bad against Death Shadow. Right. So that you get caught in a tough place where you're like, yeah, I could exploit this deck by playing. I could exploit Urza by just playing Storm. Like, yep. that would be fine. Right. But then you're just going to get thought seized and stubborn denial out of the game in half of your matches. Right. So yeah. your best strategy ends up being play one of the two really powerful decks and understand exactly how to beat the mirror and how to beat the other deck in the format. Yeah. And that, I think, is what is specifically compacting modern right now is that it, it we do have those two very polar decks where every time I think of a, a deck that is, like, good against Urza... Mm-hmm. It just can't it's, beat Death Shadow. It just can't beat Death Shadow ever. <laughs> and then every time, you know, and, you know, Death Shadow is definitely the, the B deck right now. So I'm, I haven't really been paying attention to what beats Death Shadow. But mm-hmm. a lot of those decks that would are soft to Urza. Well, so. yeah. Like, you know, we played humans to beat Death Shadow, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. like, the cards in Urza are just better than the cards in humans. There's just you... three engineered explosives in the main yeah. that can be recurred or whatever. <laughs> so it becomes a problem. Or, you know, we play Jund to slightly outvalue Death Shadow mm-hmm. and that just can never beat an Oko. Right. If that, you know, if outvaluing Death Shadow is the thing that you want to do, you just lose to the card Oko Thief of Crowns. So Dubes asks, who do you main in Smash? I'm asking this question just because I want to mention like, man, we have not played Smash in a long, we played a lot of Smash and then we just stopped. Yeah. I was a Jigglypuff, yes. personally. I was a K. Rule heavy main. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some of these Twitter questions. Okay. So, okay, great. We can just start with Lexi. Ah. Um, Lexi asks, what was your favorite part about SCG Con this past season, this year? It could be a general quality or a specific moment in time. And she mentioned that she was like specifically asking this because this was... A year with like a lot of stuff happening between yeah. PC qualification, moving into this house. This year has been a quite the roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, a lot has happened this year. Definitely like big picture, big big picture highlights has been moving in this house has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just the the run that Lotus Box has been yeah. on. You know, it's it it feels like we're growing, and that feels really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in general, just like I really, really like watching my friends succeed in this way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I get to share in my like small part of it, but like, you know, watching you guys just kind of break it over and over and really get a handle on how to be very successful on the SCG tour has been. Yeah. fun to watch and rewarding to like i don't know i like seeing my friends do well yeah it's really cool yeah i mean it's been a great year for for all that stuff also i've definitely enjoyed uh in between round shenanigans at these events mm-hmm. highlights include love letter with everybody love letters also the lands game has been a lot of fun <laughs> um like so we got to play the lands game again Come see on. i can't really do the lands game just because I never quite remember the rules, and then they're always different depending on who you are playing. No, no, no. Le- Lexi and I figured out. We figured out the, the rules. The standardized rules. We, yeah, we standardized it. So okay. if you ever need to relearn, we'll tell you. Okay. We know. We figured out the best way. Okay. Great. Yeah, yeah. We, we got you covered there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, then I may try it at some point. Great. Oh yeah, I did play some mental magic, uh, <laughs> at the last, not this past oh, yeah, season, yeah. Gun, uh-huh. but the one before, uh, and boy remembering old weird cards is very helpful playing mental <laughs> magic i cannot play mental magic no, you absolutely cannot yeah i mean you you understand my skills and my weaknesses mm-hmm. based on you know co-hosting with me for two years yeah that's uh, not a strength of yours nope <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah when dubs was here the other week i like i like had to ask him a question i was like uh, what's the card? It's like the the colorless experimental frenzy. Oh, <laughs> and he was he just shook his head. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, Zach Allen asks, who would you say is a better battle rapper between the two of you? Any plans for future inter podcast rap. rap battles? That is cultural appropriation, and we don't do that on the MTG Grindcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Sorry, Zach. I know that's disappointing. Damn. Jeremy asks, what's the most recent time you tilted off at a Magic tournament? I got pretty upset with myself at the end of day one at the Invitational. Just didn't make day two, lost my winning in, played pretty badly, hadn't taken care of myself. And, um, you know, I tried not to let my demeanor be like outwardly negative in a way, because obviously... You know, I played Aiden in the last round. Like, it wasn't his fault that I played badly or anything like that. He shouldn't have to suffer for me being upset Mm -hmm. at myself. Um, I don't know that I contained it as much as I should have, but hopefully I was mostly... (laughs) I I was outwardly courteous, but clearly, like, not doing super well. (laughs) Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, A classic. Everybody can tell, but it's it's a classic. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was very upset with myself after that yeah and it was a frustrating end to the day yeah yeah so pretty recent that was that was the last time that i yeah that i told do do, do we have time for story time yeah um of course that's what i've told you about or told the story on the podcast before but i think the last time i got just really tilted at a magic tournament was um i can't remember what kind of event it was maybe it was a ptq Maybe it was an IQ, but it was like a, a it was like a nine rounder at Atomic Empire. Okay, uh, pretty big. Okay, um, but it, it was a local event. Yeah, I had I was playing uh, LSV's uh, Collected Company 
Oh, the Black Green uh, one from the, deck? from the Pro Tour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, he, so he topped into the Pro Tour, and this tournament was, like, on a Sunday, so we, we like, scrambled together mm-hmm. the cards for it last minute. Or I think it was, like, on a Saturday, but but we, like, figured out from day one of the Pro Tour what, what the cards were, and we, like, threw together some bad sideboard or something. Gotcha. Um, but the deck was completely busted. It was playing Collect Company and just, like, a bunch of, like, weird creatures that made mana. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically, it was playing the Flip Liliana. Yes, that'll play a role in my my sad story. <laughs> so this deck was really sweet and really cool, and I was doing really well with it. I was like six zero. So I guess playing technically a win and end because if I had hit seven zero, I would be able to draw double mm-hmm. draw in. But the deck was really complicated, so I had picked up several warnings over <laughs> the course of this event. Um, I was at two warnings, and the third one's a game loss. Mm-hmm. So I was playing pretty tight, and I'm playing against this player. And like so, something happens, and I my opponent has uh, I haven't told the story in a while, so I have to remember all the specific details. But uh, my opponent has uh, a card in their hand, and I flip my Liliana, and I plus it, and mm-hmm. the plus on flip Liliana is the same as Liliana the Veil. Both players discard a card, so I plus my Liliana, I bend my card. My opponent acknowledges that I plus the Liliana, and I pass the turn, and. Uh, and they draw, and, and then they, they have, have two cards, two in, cards hand? in hand. Mm. And I'm like, hey, wait, no, that's bad. You should not have two cards in hand, so I call a judge. Yeah. And my opponent's like, oh, yeah, I totally didn't discard to your Liliana. That's my bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the judge uh, issues me. A failure to maintain game state warning. No, no, no. This, it, was, it, was, it was more than that, because failures to maintain can't upgrade. Mm-hmm. But they issue me a warning, like a... a my knowledge of the rules is degraded recently, okay. but but like an official, like an actual warning, huh. and it upgraded to a game loss. Wow, but um, that sounds like a failure to maintain game state warning at best. For well, your... I, I clearly snap appealed. Yeah, um, and the head judge upheld, and I the rules might have changed since then, mm-hmm. but at the time, um, because I owned the permanent. That ability was improperly resolved. Wow! It's up to me to make sure that it's properly resolved. Wow. So I received a warning, which upgraded to a game loss. I was very upset. Yeah, very upset. Unbelievable! Yeah. I think I ranted for the next like two rounds, <laughs> and I did not make top eight of this tournament. Oh, of course, I I so this game loss turned this match into an unintentional draw i act i unintentionally drew the next round as well oh god and i unintentionally drew the following round after that oh man yep yeah it was i was i was i was tilted off yep yeah yeah Jeez. um no i have not heard that story that sucks shout out to justin klaus for uh for very patiently sitting through some of my rants that day <laughs> i appreciated that yeah, well, um, <laughs> Justin's gas. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the perfect guy for the scenario of <laughs> just being like, "Yeah, dude, that sucks." You know. <laughs> yeah, I was very upset. I don't. Yeah, I don't tilt off very often, but that one, that one really got me. Yeah, that's yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Um, Dom asks, <laughs> my, "My friend has a team trios event coming up. What oh. would you suggest her team play in each format?" So oh. I think this is supposed to be a sneaky question. It is a sneaky question. But the thing is, our answer to this question would not help him in his like subversive thing that he's trying to do here because team trios are now pioneer modern standard. Oh, yeah, and the yeah. tournament he's trying to get us to give away tech for is legacy 
modern and standard. Mm-hmm. So you a know, little bit of overlap there. A little but overlap. I'll tell you what. In Pioneer right now, I would probably play Zan's uh, Black Green Field deck with that he some just Oblivion Sowers in the sideboard. Top dated a PTQ. There you go, Dom. You're welcome. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, no know, comment on the other format. You're a third of the way there, so <laughs> that should do it. That should help your friend out a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will asks, what is your go-to mid-round snack at opens slash GPs? Mm-hmm. Um, I really like nuts and fruit. I'm not huge on dried fruit so much because it's easy to like accidentally eat a lot of sugar that way, but sometimes yeah. it's about the best you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like apples and nuts. That's That uh, helps me out. Yeah. My, my default uh, item to purchase at like a convention center food bar is a, uh, um, a hot dog. <laughs> it's just it's not a lot mm-hmm. um of food so it's not really gonna like weigh down gotcha. and it's just enough to get you over that like you know i haven't eaten anything headache <laughs> it's it just kind of fits well also a banana bananas yeah, bananas are, are really yeah, yeah. really good right it's just they're kind of hard to keep in a bag without like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. them up so that's yeah. the main banana problem. i've definitely played many rounds of like throughout the morning of a, a, a tournament just holding on to physically <laughs> a uh, a banana that I took from the Hotel Continental Breakfast. Oh, man. Yeah. Were you there when we got yelled at for that? Was no. That, okay. Was that... I, was I guess that maybe, that? maybe. Maybe you were there. But yeah, I, like, we, I don't remember this. We ate a Continental Breakfast. I don't even remember what tournament it was. Okay. But it was early this year. It was last season. Mm-hmm. And we just like ate a Continental Breakfast. And there were like... Like... I, I don't remember if there were, like, signs up saying, like, don't take fruit with you. Or, like, I, I think there might have been. But I... It, like, was it the Richmond Convention Center? Yeah, it might have been. Okay. Um, well, but but this was just... I know in, all the convention centers that well, are really Well, but, but it, this things. wasn't a convention center thing. This was just at the hotel. Oh, and so what? we were just eating our breakfast. And I, like, had an apple. And I was like, eh, I can't eat this apple right now. So I was just going to, like, put it in my bag. And then I, like, got yelled at by one of the people working at the... At the hotel? At the hotel. And I was like, okay. Don't so I just steal like, our continental free the apple back on my plate so that I could throw it away because nobody's allowed to eat that apple now. That's so sad. That's right. It was in Baltimore and it was with Lee and Braver. Okay, okay. Okay. That makes sense. That, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, I was talking, I remember it was like a year ago. I was talking to Abe Stein and Abe was like, uh, this was back when I wrote for SCG. And he was like, yeah, Collins, I really respected you as a writer until you wrote a banana article. And I was like, "What? What's a banana article? <laughs> yeah. Like, I wrote one of these." And he's like, "Yeah, you know, every every uh, SDG writer goes through a phase where they write a banana article, which is that they're talking about like the, the things that you can do outside of Magic at a Magic tournament that help your tournament. And every single one of these articles involves Eating suggesting <laughs> that you eat some snacks throughout the day, such as a banana." <laughs> So well, we just did it again. We um we just had a banana podcast episode. That's all right. It's yeah. only one portion of this mailbag episode. Yeah. Yeah. We had no control. We had to answer the question about snacks. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, somebody else asked. We didn't come up with it. It's not our fault. Uh, Chris asks, "What do you do to have fun outside of grinding Magic events? Casual Magic, board games, video games, sports? I love board games. I like board games. Yeah." I just played a couple board games the other night with my family. That was a lot of fun. Aw. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we played Bananagrams. Okay. And Coup. Boy, this is a banana-heavy episode. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> I didn't... Until I said that, I didn't realize that there was connection there, but yeah. <laughs> it's turning into a banana-heavy episode. <laughs> 
yeah, I I love board games. I actually wish we would play more of those. We should have we should have a board game night um here at the house. I'm down more often. You're yeah, down? Okay. I'm in. Great. Let's do it. Um yeah, we can invite over like, you know, all of our good friends that also enjoy board games. That's just most of them because <laughs> That's all of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's we're all a bunch of nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like reading. I like playing video games. Mm-hmm. I play a lot of magic. <laughs> yeah. We we're very magic consumed here. Um yeah. I don't know. I exercise a lot. I don't know if I count that as like fun, but I definitely like feel like my day is worse when I don't do that. So that's fair. Yeah, it sort of counts. Um, ben asks, "Do either of you have a song or songs that you listen to before a tournament to hype yourself up?" Mm-hmm. Lately, my uh, album of choice for, to hype me up has been uh, from the Score mm-hmm. uh, Atlas. It's a good. It's a good hype out album. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really gets you into the mood. I can see that. Yeah. Um, if I need to get hype, I'm pretty into uh, another soundtrack. Actually, I'm really into the Into the Spider Verse soundtrack. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely some very very hype tracks on that. But one of the tracks on it is not particularly hype, but it is the basis of my favorite playlist, which is my fucking bops playlist, <laughs> Sunflower, and then like a bunch of like very summery sort of like, you know boppy poppy songs that because sometimes you don't really need to be in like a eminem lose yourself mood before you play a magic tournament you just kind of want to be feeling good yeah and and a lot of times that's the choice that i make before a tournament it's fair manny asks how do i handle playing magic when i have no friends that play and my geographic area is terrible for playing magic without the gathering isn't very fun yeah i mean that can definitely be hard like we're really lucky here yeah (laughs) magic online is is definitely and magic arena i guess are the Mm -hmm. ways that i would suggest playing magic but you are like i'm not gonna you know you are missing out on the gathering element which is a huge element for me and i mean i i am limited when all i'm doing is playing magic and i feel like i get a huge boost to my understanding of formats and stuff when i can sit around and talk about them Mm -hmm. with you guys Mm -hmm. and not having that would be really hard yeah um and probably from not being in that situation makes it really tough to give a lot of advice. Like when I was in Germany, you know, fortunately I was still able to like do the podcast and talk to you and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I definitely, you know, was not as connected. I didn't really have a community of magic players and, you know, I traveled around to tournaments and I was able to meet people that then I would see at the GPs that I went to and stuff. And so sort of, even though there weren't any people in my like very local scene that I was hanging out with, you know, I was able to become part of this community just because fortunately there were a couple of cool groups of people who were at pretty much all of the European GPs and I could count on seeing them at most of them. So that was really nice. But it wasn't the same as, you know, being able to hang out and play magic or talk magic with people most days of the week. So right. I definitely empathize with that situation. That's not easy. Yep. I'm not going to be able to answer this next question. Uh, yeah, I know this is a CCR question. Okay. Um, Jacob asks, would you consider your Grixis Fires deck with Seth better or worse in the post-band meta? I know it was mostly for fun, but I've been trying to make Seth work for a while and I really like that list. So I think this actually, like, comes down to, like, a pretty fundamental thing about magic and about like roguish deck building in general, which is you cannot have your rogue deck be vulnerable to the same thing as one of the best decks in the format. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't construct a rogue deck based on fires of invention right now 
when the format is, you know, 35% cat decks and 30% fires of invention decks. Yeah. And everybody is constructing their decks with like main deck thrashing brontodons and casualties of war and stuff. Um, and so you just, if you want to play a rogue deck, you can't be vulnerable to the tech cards that people are playing for the main decks in the format. Um, and I think that's the main reason why I just haven't even really given this deck another shot because I don't want to run into all these naturalized effects yeah. all day long. That's sad. That deck was sweet. It was sweet. Yeah. Um, it's just not time for it right now. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, one of these days, maybe we'll be Dracoseth and people. But if people keep cavaliersing, then it you know it's just right. never quite gonna be yeah in a in the spot where you want it to be. So yeah, when you're building a rogue deck. You know, the philosophy behind that deck was the main deck in the format is Golos. Mm. I want to beat Field of the Dead, and I want to do that by going over the top and ending the game quickly yep. in a way that their stuff doesn't interact with. And I want to be using tools that the weapons most people are using to fight the big decks in the format aren't really effective against me. Yeah. So that wasn't as effective when people were like, oh, Questing Beast is really good against fires of event or questing beast is really good against field of the dead turned out that card was really good against me too mm. but um a lot of the ways that people were fighting uh the goalless decks just weren't effective against a fire deck, and so that's where you want to be when you are brewing up a deck to attack a metagame from yeah um and then maybe this is our last question maybe we will go back and grab one or two more but this is definitely the most important question. Oh, yeah. Um, so Katie asks, which Planeswalker is the most smoochable? Mm -hmm. Chris? Uh, so this is a complicated question. It's very difficult to answer. and Because there's like lots of categories of smoochable. smoochable. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so like number one is like, you know, just bare bones like attractiveness. Okay. Like who's the most attractive Planeswalker? Who's the Planeswalker you would want to smooch the most? Kara. Um, <laughs> if you're into bears, man, like that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, I guess not a bear. I guess he's really like a, he's way too muscular and gigantic for that. Like he doesn't have the like, I'm not familiar with soft body of... sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's like kind of the tough thing for me is like, they've really made more like super beautiful male planeswalkers and that's not like super my thing. Oko has to be on top but, of like, the list, right? Oko is way up there. Yeah. I think Dak Faden. Okay. They, they made suspiciously attractive as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then sadly they killed him off, which I guess makes him not very smoochable anymore. <sighs> but yeah, most of the and then like the other the other part of like the smoochability question is also yeah. like approachability. You okay. know? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like, do you think your smooch attempt will be well received sure and so with most of the female planeswalkers they're mm -hmm. like very intentionally not only strong characters mm -hmm. but like kind of scary honestly. oh yeah yeah um, i'd be kind of worried about approaching liliana yeah exactly know? like she's right you know they they've like built her up in this like very kind of like standard attractive archetype but yep. you know she'll just kill you right so probably just, yeah probably shouldn't try it hey but if she kills you i think maybe that'll increase your chances you know yeah i mean she's got a zombie <laughs> thing going on but ultimately like not a great outcome to this whole situation you know yeah. yeah 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 so you know oko you might smooch and then he'll just turn you into an elk mm -hmm. so that's not a great outcome either right. but definitely as far as just like 
intentionally and like in your face attractive goes mm-hmm. it's got to be oko right sure like yeah just the way they framed him and put him up there yeah yeah um yeah definitely i think oko is on top of the list mm-hmm. my personal pick would have been vivian but that's mm. just me okay yeah 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 vivian is cool and i feel like she's more got that... on the approachable side of things right right she's yeah. got that like natural energy yeah like, yeah you know She'd mm-hmm. probably like you could hang out and chat with her about forest stuff for a while and sure. then make your move and yeah. <laughs> there you go <laughs> we'd probably have time for like one or two short questions okay if yeah. we've got anything in here that we have kind of missed um I, this isn't super short but this is an interesting one um mm-hmm. what does the ideal pioneer format look to you guys so number of like playable tier one decks i'm probably aiming for like five-ish mm-hmm as like a minimum for my ideal format. Like mm-hmm. I want there to be a diversity of uh, different decks that are strong. Mm-hmm. I also want all of the macro archetypes to be well re- represented. Yeah. So I want there to be a good aggro deck and a good control deck and a good mid-range deck and a good combo deck. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I want people to be able to play their like favorite kind of magic. So yeah. I think that if I those, think that's important. Like yeah. so if we had like a five deck format but all of the archetypes are well represented. I think that would be my like ideal format mm-hmm. for for any format really, Pioneer. Yeah, included. Um, I think that Pioneer has a couple of like problems right now that sort of stem from it being an amalgamation with several years of standard where they've kind of intentionally pushed the threats past the answers for most of it, mm-hmm. and so you know like. How are you supposed to efficiently answer Oko in Pioneer? Right. And the only way of doing that is by having your deck be something not affected by Oko. Mm-hmm. And that's what, one of the reasons that Mono Black is so good. Because yeah. you just have like a bunch of creatures that go ahead and turn them into Elks. Like they're yeah. better now. Right. Um, and like we have good value stuff to fight all your other cards. And, you know, obviously the Field of the Dead deck just doesn't care about Oko either yeah um and so like that type of threat is defining the format by being kind of unanswerable so you have to contort your decks such that you don't have to answer them um and i think that there's a number of those threats in pioneer that the format is built around kind Mm -hmm. of i don't know if just printing more efficient answers is going to actually help that but you know how do you how do you solve this metagame where you're pulled between one drop two power black creatures and infinite late game power of field of the dead mm-hmm. and those two like threat suites are so require such specific answers given what we have access to that it, it's really hard to figure out like how do we make this format allow for like regular old mid-range decks to exist like how can a control deck be able to deal with both of these things at once right um because the threats are just so powerful and the answer cards that actually answer them effectively are very narrow and are just hard to run um that's going far afield for my like what's the ideal pioneer format like i think the like ideal conceptualization of the format is like you get to play your favorite standard cards from the past couple of years Ooh, yeah some some nostalgia factor right like you know kellen 
Pastor posted a list and he was like, this list I think is pretty good against mono black. And I got really excited because it was running four rekindling Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I won a lot of matches with rekindling <laughs> Phoenix over the, it's, yeah, it's course, it's, it's period of time and standard. The deck turns out was really good for this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing, even as like a super competitive player who yeah. just wants to win matches, it does get me excited. Yeah. Um, and so that, that would be my ideal is like play with your favorite standard things. The first deck I tried out in all of Pioneer was my most nostalgic standard <laughs> strategy. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, we're building heroic. <laughs> Let's do it. Yep. You know, um, and yeah, I really wanted it to work out, but no, it did not. <laughs> right. So, so there you yeah. have it. Okay. Well, I think we have hit on it about enough. So we really, really appreciate everybody who submitted questions. If we didn't get to yours, uh, it is not because we, like, judged your question and found it lacking. It's because we got a really nice response to our uh, reaching out for these. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. I had a lot of fun this episode. I'm glad. This was great. Me too. Yep. Uh, So thanks to everybody who submitted questions. Thanks to everybody who is hanging out in chat right now. Um, Thank you to everybody who is listening at home. We really, really appreciate you just being here being a part of this yep Um, we have been doing this for a while and we will keep doing it and what do you think next week pioneer episode featuring zan i hope so nice um yeah that could definitely be a good option cool thanks a lot to our patrons really appreciate your support if you would like to become a patron head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast or straight to our website mtggrindcast.com we got links to the patreon got links to all of our episodes and collins's coaching service uh if you want to find us on social media, the podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore Grindcast. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. So thank you so much and have a great week. Peace.